This audiobook of the original America Burning was produced by the Firefighter Podcast Combustible. More details on this project can be found online at www.combustiblethepodcast.com. The audio for this recording is consistent with all copyright rights and permissions associated with America Burning and is not affiliated with or endorsed in any way by the federal government or the U.S. Fire Administration. Chapter 5. Fire Service Personnel Common sense tells us that, once a destructive fire has begun, the effectiveness of the fire department in reducing life and property losses depends, to a large extent, on how soon firefighters arrive at the scene and what they and their equipment do after they have arrived. Thus, manpower is the key factor in fire suppression. Quick response requires not only that fire stations and fire trucks be placed in enough locations, but that the firehouses be adequately manned. And while it is important that equipment at the fire scene be adequate to the task, a concern we discuss in Chapter 7, it is equally important that there be enough firefighters adequately trained to use the equipment effectively. Manpower is also a key factor in fire prevention. Efforts to inspect buildings for fire safety and to educate the public about fire hazards require the actions of specially trained people. Common sense tells us, therefore, that changes in manning of fire departments, especially if they have responsibilities for fire prevention as well as suppression, affect the ability of those departments to control life and property losses from fires. Changes in manning, one would expect, also affect the rate at which firefighters sustain injuries. By changes in manning, we mean not only the addition or subtraction of firemen, but changes in departmental entrance requirements, changes in training, changes in physical conditioning, and changes in the way manpower is deployed. But precisely how do such changes affect fire losses or firefighter injuries? As was true of some of the questions in Chapter 3, good answers do not exist. Almost no data gathering and almost no systematic studies have been performed to correlate various manpower strategies with effectiveness. Such questions are not idle ones. In a poll conducted for the publication Nation Cities in February 1972, 33% of the responding cities reported that their fire departments were manned at under-authorized levels. The International Association of Firefighters, among others, is concerned that cuts in manpower made in the name of economy may be exposing firefighters to greater risks of injuries. Fire chiefs worry because layoffs of younger men are robbing their departments of future leaders. The fire insurance industry is concerned that manpower cuts may lead to an increase of large loss fires. Citizens, too, worry about reduced fire protection and the effect of undermanning on their insurance rates. In the absence of cost-effectiveness studies of various manpower strategies, who can say what the effects of manpower cuts are likely to be? But this is not solely a scientific question. It has a moral dimension as well. Saving lives, reducing property losses, and preventing firefighter injuries are far more important considerations than efficiency in government. It is far better to err on the side of overmanning than to risk the public's safety through manpower cuts. Economy-minded governments should be concerned with getting greater productivity from their fire departments, not with saving dollars to the possible detriment of the citizen's safety. Pressure toward better utilization. Fire departments cannot continue to base their manpower practices on past experience and hunches. The economic pressures on local governments translates into a need to base manpower policies on a firm foundation of proven cost-effectiveness. There are other pressures in this direction as well. Public Expectations Fire departments are not the only municipal service under pressure to justify their policies. The fact that other departments of local government are under similar pressure suggests that the departments that come forward with the best analyses are likely to convince local officials and the public that their needs are valid. 
If fire departments lag behind, they are likely to be treated with indifference. If fire departments come forward with bond issues for new equipment and facilities based on inadequate studies, they are apt to encounter stiff resistance from those public officials and influential citizens who live in a world of cost-benefit analyses and trade-off studies. Other pressures arise when public expectations exceed what the fire department is delivering. Many citizens are bothered by their perception of the paid firefighter as one who spends most of his duty time in idleness. While in many communities this impression is out of date, the fact that the impression lingers should concern fire department administrators. In some communities, on the other hand, the public has come to expect the fire service to handle any life safety emergency. If the fire department does not live up to this expectation, the public may conclude that the fire department manpower is not worth its costs to taxpayers. The changing environment. Another pressure toward placing manpower practices on a more rational basis stems from changes that have occurred in our urban society and in fire problems. Take, for example, the high-rise building, a special problem to which more and more fire departments are being introduced. Heights exceed ladder reach. Air and heating ducts, in many cases, rapidly spread fire and smoke, sometimes faster than a heavily populated building can be evacuated. Windows may be sealed, causing heat to build up. These and other special problems require not only an adequate number of firefighters at the scene, but firefighters who are trained to deal with the special hazards and who are effectively managed in the team effort to put out the fire. Fire departments have been growing larger as the nation becomes more urbanized. Shopping centers and other commercial complexes are sprouting up in rural areas, putting increased demands on their fire departments. With the growing size of the fire departments and the growing complexity of the hazards in the environment, the desirability of specialization within the departments increases. Equal Opportunity Considerations Moral considerations dictate, and federal law requires, that entrance-level requirements for fire departments be related only to the performance requirements of the job. This is to prevent discrimination against minorities in hiring. It is our observation that many fire departments have quite some distance to go to fulfill this need. Too many entrance tests expect skills unrelated to firefighting. Some put so much emphasis on administrative skills that they appear to be saying, in every firefighter there must be a fire chief waiting to be discovered. Too few tests, on the other hand, relate to the skills a firefighter needs. Only recently, in fact, have any attempts been made to correlate entrance examination scores, fire school scores, and on-the-job performance. What can be done? What we have said thus far about manpower considerations in the fire services suggests several areas of research that need to be pursued. Specifically, the Commission recommends that the proposed United States Fire Administration sponsor research in the following areas. Productivity Measure of Fire Departments How do various manning strategies affect the ability of a fire department to put out fires and rescue fire's victims? How can firefighters' responsibilities be extended into new areas, especially into fire prevention efforts or non-fire emergency rescue without jeopardizing fire suppression and rescue. Job Analyses Different fire departments render different kinds of services, depending on their assigned responsibilities and the kinds of hazards that exist in the environment they serve. What skills are required of firefighters and officers under these varying conditions? How should candidates be screened for these positions? Firefighter Injuries How can injuries be reduced? For example, are firefighters taking unnecessary risks to save abandoned buildings? In this area, there is a need for studies of firemen's protective equipment, which we discuss in Chapter 7. Fire Prevention Efforts What kinds of educational programs effectively reduce burn injuries? 
What kinds of hazards are most important to eliminate? How can fire department inspections and educational programs be made most effective? In all these areas of research, a very useful method is to compare the performance of fire departments using different strategies in attacking the problem under study, and then to isolate the factor that makes the difference in performance. This means that fire departments under study must keep adequate records of their performance. Impact must be considered. In evaluating the relative importance of a particular fire hazard, for example, it is not enough to record the number of inspections made, the input, and then the frequency with which the unsafe practice occurs, the output. It is necessary that the number of fires attributable to or aggravated by the unsafe practice be evaluated, the impact. Note that input over impact in dollars is the cost-benefit ratio. Since the research needs are urgent and should not await pursuit until the U.S. Fire Administration is established, the Commission urges the federal research agencies, such as the National Science Foundation and the National Bureau of Standards, to sponsor research appropriate to their respective missions within the areas of productivity of fire departments, causes of firefighter injuries, effectiveness of fire prevention efforts, and the skills required to perform various fire department functions. The emergence of guidelines for fire services development through federally sponsored research will be a long step forward. But to implement the findings to meet local conditions, expert leadership in fire departments is needed. The linking of expert with leadership is vital. Most American fire departments are strong in leadership and weak in management expertise. The typical hiring and promotion system, in which everyone from the chief on down started as a rookie fireman, has guaranteed good leaders who understand the needs of the men under them and are respected by their subordinates. But fire departments could profit from competition for certain leadership positions from outside fire departments. They need qualified planners whose expertise lies in fire protection engineering, operations research, and systems studies rather than firefighting. This is especially true in larger departments where, further, specialists in budgeting, personnel, and community relations need not be firefighters. The experience of other kinds of organizations, moreover, shows that thinking can become stale and practices inbred when no outside entry is permitted. The Commission recommends that the nation's fire departments recognize advanced and specialized education and hire or promote persons with experience at levels commensurate with their skills. Recently, the retirement systems of most fire departments discourage hiring from outside at any level above that of basic firefighters. For example, in many departments, only those who join between the ages of 21 and 30 are eligible for retirement benefits. Seldom are retirement system credits portable. A fireman who transfers to another department must begin building credits anew, as though he were a rookie firefighter. To encourage greater opportunity for choice for firefighters and officers, the vesting of retirement rights and transfer of retirement credits to other jurisdictions needs to be made possible. The subject of lateral transfer should be studied in detail through a project sponsored by the proposed U.S. Fire Administration. A major objective should be to determine ways in which personnel can transfer between fire departments and retain all retirement rights. Important as we consider flexible hiring practices, we do not mean to depreciate the value of training within fire departments. At the outset of this chapter, we said that one of the important ways to change fire department manning is to change training programs. Improvements in training can favorably influence a department's effectiveness in saving lives, reducing property losses, and preventing injuries to firefighters. Quality of training given America's firefighters and officers varies widely. It is not difficult to see why. There are no national training requirements for firemen, and only 15 states have training standards which all firemen must meet. 
For volunteer firefighters, there are no financial incentives and sometimes little opportunity to further their training. For paid departments as well as volunteer ones, training is an expensive undertaking that removes the trainees from useful service for a period of time. Many communities, if called upon to augment their fire department training, simply could not afford to. The Commission recommends a program of federal financial assistance to local fire services to upgrade their training. To qualify for this assistance, a fire jurisdiction should be required to present a master plan for fire protection, substantiating the need for further training. We indicated earlier, entrance requirements for the nation's fire departments also vary widely, and too few tests meet the federal requirements that they be related only to the performance requirements of the job applied for. Because of the conservative hiring and promotion practices of fire departments, too many tests emphasize the applicant's potentiality for moving far up in rank. Better training programs, together with greater willingness of departments to hire at all ranks from outside, would diminish the needs for this emphasis. A fair and job-related test, which the Joint Council of National Fire Service Organizations is now working on, will, in turn, create pressures for better training and more liberal hiring and promotion practices. Our concern for the rights of America's racial minorities, which prompts our urging that entrance tests be fair and job-related. But we believe even further steps are necessary to overcome the effects of years of discrimination in many departments. It is not enough for fire departments to establish fair standards in hiring. They must reach out to minority communities and actively seek recruits. The administering of federal funds for training or other assistance to local fire departments, the Commission recommends that eligibility be limited to those departments that have adopted an effective affirmative action program related to the employment and promotion of members of minority groups. Increasing productivity. Two possibilities. The nature of the job of most firefighters requires much standby time which is not devoted to reducing fire losses. Most leaders in the fire services agree that the productive time of firefighters ought to be increased, and most agree that whatever additional services firefighters are called upon to render, the services ought to utilize firefighters' special capabilities. Painting street signs and registering bicycles are useful activities, but they don't meet this criterion. Activities which meet this criterion, and which ought to receive topmost priority in extending firefighters' productivity, lie in the area of fire prevention. A recurring theme of this report is that a much heavier investment of time and resources in fire prevention is the most expeditious route to reduce life and property losses from fire. While many departments recognize responsibilities in fire prevention, too few are doing all they should or could. There are many fire prevention activities that fire departments can undertake. They can conduct inspections to enforce local codes, ordinances, and common-sense fire prevention practices. They can supplement the efforts of other code inspectors, for example, by reviewing building plans in cooperation with the building department. They can inspect special items of importance, such as hydrants, sprinkler systems, and standpipes. They can check high-risk areas, such as wooden structured slums and areas where buildings are under construction. For the sake of pre-fire planning, they can conduct familiarization inspections of structures and areas where their services may be needed someday. Last but not least, fire departments can conduct educational programs, not only to teach school children and heads of households, but also to teach employees of hospitals, hotels, and other public buildings of their special responsibilities. These programs should be continuing, year-round efforts, not simply projects for Fire Prevention Week. Payoffs of such efforts lie in reduced demands for fire suppression and reduced deaths, injuries, and property losses. Which of these efforts have the greatest payoff is, as we have indicated, a question on which appallingly little research has been done. But greater efforts in fire prevention cannot await the arrival of better data. Not for the sake of productivity alone, 
but for the sake of the public safety, the time to get on with it is now. Another kind of activity that meets the criterion of utilizing firefighters' special capabilities is emergency ambulance and paramedical service. From time to time, nearly every fire department is called upon to respond to emergencies having nothing to do with fire. Indeed, in some departments, responding to non-fire emergencies is an official responsibility and a major part of the department's workload. But many departments have moved gradually toward heavier assumption of this responsibility without adequate planning and preparation. As a result, they are still responding to non-fire emergencies with fire trucks, an expensive and inappropriate use of equipment. Or they are requiring firefighters to handle some patients they are not trained to handle. Or they are compiling a poor record of response to non-fire emergencies because they have an inadequate communications and deployment system. There are sound reasons for fire departments assuming emergency ambulance and paramedical functions. If fire stations are logically located to guarantee quick response to fires, then ambulances placed in fire stations will be logically deployed as well. Secondly, firefighters are, by temperament and training, people rescuers, and handling all emergency patients is not a major shift of responsibility. Thirdly, a communications system designed to get emergency vehicles to the fire scene is well along the way to sufficiency for handling all emergencies. Lastly, a consideration not to be discounted, the provision of ambulance services will enhance the value of the fire department in the eyes of the community that supports it. Commission recommends that fire departments lacking emergency ambulance, paramedical, and rescue services consider providing them, especially if they are located in communities where these services are not adequately provided by other agencies. We recognize that assumption of these responsibilities requires investment in new equipment, in additional training programs, and, most likely, in additional manpower. Also, Careful planning is required to ensure that the general rescue responsibility does not compromise the fire department's responsibility in fire protection, and vice versa.